0: Uh, We're going to start reading uh, Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 26. I'll read the odd verses, and then you all read the even verses. And the last verse, 26. Yeah. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment.
1: We boarded a ship from Adramitidium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us.
0: The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs.
1: From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were
0: against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myria in Cilicia.
1: There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board.
0: We made a slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed for the Lee of Crete opposite Samone
1: we moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lazia.
0: Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was the day after the atonement. So Paul warned them,
1: Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also.
0: But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship.
1: Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. There was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest.
0: When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete.
1: Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island.
0: The ship was caught by the storm and could not, lead, could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along.
1: As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure.
0: So the men hoisted it aboard, then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along.
1: We took, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard.
0: On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands.
1: When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved.
0: After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss.
1: But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed.
0: Last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me
1: and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you, one, given you the lives of all who sail with you.
0: So keep up your courage, man. for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. All together now? Nevertheless, Nevertheless, we must must run run aground on on some some island. Island. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, gathering us here and allowing us to hear uh, Peter's testimony. Thank you for bringing them back safe from Africa. And uh, in your mission, there may be dangers. And even as your people living here uh, on earth, We have things like the coronavirus pandemic that always threatens us, and right now we're going through a season of political instability. Lord, whatever may come ahead of us, Lord, we ask that you would give us the faith and the security that you call us your own, and since we belong to you, that you will take care of us and that we can find refuge and security in you. May the preacher speak your truth with conviction, and may all the people that hear be able to resoundingly echo in their hearts an amen, and may the Lord set the course of our lives as we live out another week for your glory. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be uh, found right before you. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. You may be seated. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Uh, it's such a great pleasure for me to be able to preach God's message to you again today. Uh, as we go into today's message, let's have one of you, uh, those, those of you guys who are here, and also on your, on your Zoom, why don't we greet one another? We belong to God, you and I. Let's let that be our greeting. We belong to God, you and me. We belong to God, you and me, you and I. Amen. It's probably one of the longer sections that we've read today. I was actually tempted to select just a few verses that pertain to our points of emphasis, but, but reading scripture, I want you to remember, is a, is an art of diligence of due process. I don't know how many of you have gone through long genealogies in the sections of the Bible, and you just go, man, that's too many names, and you just skip it over. But if you had read the, pri- uh, prior, the previous parts of the Bible, you'll notice that all those names mean something because it carries... It has an, un- an incredible story that's attached to it so remember this reading scripture is an art of diligence to due process there are many details in there that matter to the rest of the text and i just simply could not take the liberty to dismiss any portion of it today especially when we are so close to finishing the book of acts remember last couple of years now almost two years not quite uh, finishing up the book of Acts, at the end of it, you will if you've been paying attention, you'll be able to comfortably say, yeah, I know the book of Acts. I know how the whole church started. I know how the ongoing mission of God is. On top of the scripture, we, hear, we get to hear wonderful testimony from as far as Africa. But before we begin, do you guys know what the word Lee means? Lee? Or did you just uh, find out today? For those of you who might not have known, Lee is not just a Korean or Chinese surname, but an actual English word. If you ever play Scrabble, Lee actually does. is not a formal name. It actually means shelter from wind or weather given by a neighboring object, especially nearby land. So in a sentence, it would be used like this. We pitched our tents in the lee of a rock. It's not just the Lee brothers and sisters here, right? And uh, as I prepare for today's message, as I'm you know looking through the text, I learned quite a lot about technical aspects of sailing. How many of you hope to own a sailboat one day? Nobody here. Yeah, it's pretty, I hear that it's pretty uh, cost intensive, pretty expensive to maintain them. Where we left off uh, in chapter 26 last Sunday, we saw. The procurator Festus and Agrippa commenting to themselves after the trial, they found that Paul uh, was not guilty. They listened to Paul's story and they go, man, they, 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 he didn't do anything to deserve imprisonment, right? And they're saying, they're almost like scratching their heads if you, could pre, if you could see this in your mind. If he had not appealed to Caesar, he would have been released. He would have gone free. But of course, Knowing who Paul is, he, he was not interested in going, going as a free man. Paul was not interested in that at all. In fact, he makes the appeal to talk to Caesar, not to declare himself further not guilty, but to get a chance to, to share the gospel to the top-level power during that time. And chapter 26 concludes on the note that Paul, although already imprisoned, on all counts he was found not guilty, both by the Roman procurator and the client, King Agrippa. So this is a man who has no guilt at all, traveling in chains, just for Jesus. For the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel, he is going there as his missionary par excellence. So we don't know exactly how much time has passed since then, but Paul, this is around now 59 AD. If, it's amazing how Bible scholars are able to trace the time it's pretty accurate to a T. I mean, they even know when, around when this storm might have happened. Around 5980, they're being transported along with the other prisoners from Caesarea to Italy, and so they're handed over to a centurion who is actually identified by name, Julius. And from that point of the narrative, Luke, who writes the letter of Acts, uh, he includes himself in there in the first person plural, we. So we know that he is... Uh, A first-hand eyewitness of all these things that we're reading about. In current company, Luke identifies another person, person, Aristarchus, a Macedonian brother from Thessalonica. So Paul is actually allowed two people to tend to him while he's in this prison ship. Because Paul is a Roman citizen who is appealing to Caesar, he's traveling under special circumstances. Other prisoners don't have that kind of privilege. Uh, people may have even known that he was actually not guilty, found innocent by Festus and Agrippa. So even though he is a prisoner, both Luke and Aristarchus are allowed to travel along with him as his attendants, as our text speaks of today. Uh, we have a map prepared. David, if you'll go to the first map, uh, I don't know if you can see the uh, uh, the arrow, but you can see Caesarea on your what is that? On your right-hand corner below, you see Jerusalem, Antipatris and then Caesarea. That's where the journey begins. And it's all smooth sailing. They go to the side. they're all smooth sailing up to My, uh, Myria, and then they transfer their ship uh, I guess I, I, on Myra, Myra, that's where they, they transfer the ship, and off of Nidus, they're, like, uh, they're seeing that, that whole that big old island right there in the middle, it says Phoenix. That's the island of Crete. So the trouble begins around that time over there. Uh, There, Julius, uh, the centurion who has Paul and his company, they transfer to another ship from Alexandria. They're bound for Italy. But by this time, the wind is now giving them trouble, creating difficulty for them to reach their destination. I remember, I understand, we just heard it right now. Um, it wasn't exactly smooth sailing for Peter either. On one, on one account, uh, because, I mean, through no fault of Peter, of course, uh, they, were, they were coming in late at the third place. And so when it's dark, there is no light. They can't do ministry. Once they arrive, once it's dark, people have to go back home. I mean, that was a whole day blown because of unexpected things. Although, one of the prayer requests that the Peter was requesting was that there would be no unexpected delays or accidents. And on the way back after the mission was completed, uh, because they were not able to get the uh, notice from the, from the people in the airport, uh, there was, a, I think, a significant delay. Peter, how, many, how, many t- how much time was lost? About two days? I imagine it was about two, 48 hours? two Three days? Wow, that's a, quite a lot of days lost just because of the corona pandemic. Uh, I want each of you to know that uh, sometimes when things don't happen the way we planned, um, it's kind of a reminder, it's kind of a reminder that we are not the masters of our own destiny. In the case of this mission that Peter went to, that was very much God's mission. It was not Peter's mission. It was not Mama Kim's mission. It was not even NBC mission. NBC was just used by God for His special purposes, and uh, in, the, in the ongoing mission that's going to come ahead, uh, it's going to be still God uh, fulfilling His purposes for this church over there. And the truth, this is the truth that we want. We want to keep in mind, although we think that we are so living our life so freely, especially when you are younger. You feel like you have a lot more freedom and potential and possibility ahead of you. When you reach to be my around my age, of course, you're like kind of right there over the hill, passing over the hill, and you go, "Well, my options are much, much less, much more limited." When you're younger, you have a lot more options, and uh, and we think that we so freely can live our individual lives but there are many things that happen out of our control that remind us that even though we do have we are given a free will that we are not our own we are not our own so that's the first slide uh, david if you could go, if you could go there and we are not our own even though we are granted free will unexpected changes in course happens in life like the whole global pandemic none of us here had it planned you know I mean, I, I referred to it, this again, but just last year, before this, around this time, when those of us who went to the uh, the youth retreat, the theme was Be Thou My Vision, right? We're hoping that Christ would be the vision for that year. Only two months later, boom, Corona coronavirus pandemic arises, and, and it immobilizes the whole world, crippling its economy and... Uh, uh, really doing a number on commerce and all the activities, churches and worship, um, education being suspended, and, and in many ways, in many ways, creating problems all around every nook and corner of our lives. Passing away of Pastor Lee, none of us had planned it. We knew that he was sick, but, but we weren't thinking that he was going to depart so, so uh, rapidly. In the case of Paul in our text, along with the others on this ship, This is past Yom Kippur on the Jewish Day of Atonement that's mentioned in our text. This is on 59 AD. If it was 59 AD, it falls on October 5th. The waters had grown extremely dangerous for sailing. And uh, from the commentaries that I've read around the Mediterranean Ocean, from mid-September to around mid-November, the waters get really, really choppy and rough. So it's not advisable that you sail during that time. And by now, Paul's familiar already. When you read the first Corinthians, he says that by this time, he has already been in three shipwrecks. So he's speaking from experience, but not only from experience. I want to say that there is a prophetic element to what Paul is saying here when he says in verse 10, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our lives also. So clearly, Luke says, Luke is mentioning... Paul, Paul did speak up. He didn't just keep quiet. He spoke up when he felt like he had to speak up on this. Rather than to stay at a, at a harbor in Fairhaven through the winter, the men decide to power through to reach the harbor in Phoenix, which is from, from Fairhaven to Phoenix is only like 50 miles. It's a very, very short distance. It's not even as far as from Long Beach to Catalina Island, you know? It's much shorter than that. The owner of the ship and its pilot, they don't listen to Paul. For what could Paul possibly know about seafaring? What does Paul know about sailing, right? And this part of the story is just kind of rem- reminiscent of a time. I don't know if you remember the story where, where Peter and his company, they're out in the ocean fishing all night. And then they come they come back towards the end almost, you know, with com- their nets completely empty. And Jesus says, why don't you go out a little further? Go out a little further and uh, cast your net there. And Peter is actually protesting a little bit. He's like kind of, you know, he's, he's frustrated. And he says, uh, well, since you say so, we'll do it. And then he goes out. And sure enough, when, uh, when they do cast the net out there, when they pull it up, it's so much fish, the catch was so fat that uh, it almost n- rips their net. Uh, Not so much with these guys. They straight up don't listen to Paul. To them, not enough credentials, at least not as much as Jesus had with Peter. They don't listen to him. They totally dismiss and ignore him. And sure enough, as they try for Phoenix, a hurricane so strong that it has its own name. I didn't know that they actually named hurricanes even back then, but apparently they did. I don't know if you remember Hurricane Harvey a couple of years ago that hit Texas and Louisiana really badly. Well, this one's called the Northeaster, and it carried them away from Crete. So if you remember seeing the little island that was supposed to be a lee, like a protection from the wind, Northeaster coming down and is pushing their their ship off course. They have a, the trajectory already planned, but it's pushing it away. And I'm going to skip over some of the details, although if you ever find the possibility of fa- sailing in your in your future, this section it would be a very good place to do some reading for knowledge. They have to uh, draw the lifeboats. This ship had lifeboats on the sides like uh, we still do nowadays. They had to draw them in because uh, they had to use that rope to, to pass it under the ship to secure the hull. Have you ever seen like Castaway? Or like those, uh, have you seen those uh, any movies that have to do with sailing or boats? Like have you seen Forrest Gump? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that. I've never been on a sailboat myself, but I have heard stories of a missionary who used to pilot a fishing boat out of, out of here, out of San Pedro. And uh, they used to apparently catch fish. And one time he was caught in a storm where the waves that were surging was 15 to 30 feet. So if you could imagine waves as tall as the top of the building of Jubilee Chapel Threatening to crush your ship in the middle of the night, where you can see nothing, <laughs> he told me it was so it's such a frightening thing that right then and there he he got on his knees and he surrendered himself. Do whatever it is that you will with, do with me. I will be your I will be your man, you know. And uh, last time I visited him, he was down in El Coyote, Mexico, and he's doing mission there and talking about small offerings. Right in this village where he was. Uh, traveling five different churches to collect the offerings. He would preach five times, you know, even though his Spanish is not his not his uh, he's not proficient speaker of Spanish. He would preach them. And at the end of the service, if you look at the baskets of the offering, how much how many shillings did you say was one dollar? Twenty three hundred? Okay. And so at the end of the day you have at least like ten thousand shillings, which is about four bucks, right? In these offering baskets we see I swear to God, corn, we see little ears of corn that's being offered by these Mexican laborers that have absolutely no connection to the to the outside world. There's no commercial trade that's going on because they're so deep in inland, in the woods, and their economy of farming is not even subsistence. They can barely survive on the food that they're raising, right? So... It's encouraging to hear that there's 10,000 shillings being offered at that church because, oh man, that, there's a future there. Because, you know, with the flow of the, uh, of the money, just like uh, Peter was mentioning, uh, as the Lord blesses that area, it's going to have water, it's going to have hospitals, it's going to have those things. We, we hope that we continue to bless, be a part of that blessing, right? I want you to imagine waves taller than our church building threatening to crash on your ship. Nature battering away without mercy. A small man-made structure like a ship, a sail ship. It can only be an absolutely frightening experience threatened to be crushed to death by these waters at any moment. And, uh, and in that Forrest Gump scene, I don't know if you've ever seen Forrest Gump. Uh, during that, do you remember the storm? there's a huge storm that happens and, and who was uh, the first shipmate of Forrest Gump lieutenant Dan right lieutenant Dan was on the top of the mast and he was like ah! you know like yelling at god right because he was had been so bitter that he didn't die in the in war like he had like all his ancestors all his forefathers died in war he didn't get to die in war he has no legs he lost his legs and and his uh, shrimp boat captain Forrest Gump, and they're like caught in the middle of the storm, and he's just like yelling. You know, that scene is really unrealistic because the kind of waves that we're, we're talking about, man, he could have like, well, I guess that's the point of the story, that, the, that Forrest Gump's uh, sh- shrimp boat survived all that because maybe God, prote- maybe God protected them, right? Uh, it's it's, a, it's not a very likely scenario, but the missionary who shared the story from Mexico, uh, it was during that storm where he surrendered to God. And it was truly a story of Jonah come to life. And, and I want you to put, put your mind on that, on that story of Jonah because there are, sto- there are storm stories in the Bible for a good reason. We, we go through our lives, we, we want to have our lives without, without any trouble at all. But this is something that's ongoing right now in the KSC. Pastor Daniel's been preaching this, and I echo these sentiments. And it's not just a sentiment, it's a principle of truth in life. It's not that we might have a storm coming ahead. There most certainly will be a storm that comes ahead. The question is, how will you be prepared? How will we be prepared to face that storm? There is maybe, maybe a direct reference to this story, the very story of Jonah, on the third day, they throw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So there's cargo on the ship. It's not just prisoners. There's stuff in there. A lot of the ships would, would carry transport, and they would like, it would be precious cargo. Sometimes, like, you know, um, merchants carrying items to be sold, like spices, like uh, a linen, things like that. And sometimes food, grain, like rice and barley and things like that. And right now, they're in so much trouble that they just have to jettison these things, throw them away. And, uh, and they're, not just that, there's like essential gear that support the ship's mast and sails for propulsion. They have to be all now discarded. They're throwing it off overboard. And because these are urgent times, this is like the only chance of survival is to lighten the load. If you want to save yourself, just lighten the load. And listen to what comes next. Verse twenty. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Peter gave us a very descriptive descriptive scenario. Since they're out in the in the bush, in the bushes, in the in the in in Africa, there is no electricity. I, I don't think they have candles. When it's night, it's absolute darkness. And you're in peril, you're in danger. There's wilderness. There's animals that can see stuff in the dark, and you can be prey. You can become prey very quickly. If you have a family, a household, if you have little kids following you, they can be lion food any time. What's worse is hyenas. There's all kinds of animals out there in the wilderness to which you have to contend with. And I don't know if you remember the last two messages that I preached these uh, last past two Sundays this year. They had to do with light, darkness and light. Well, in this case, in the middle of this violent storm, there was not any kind of light. There is no sun. There's no stars. No sun during the day because it was pitch black, covered with with the the thickness of the of the clouds, and. Uh, and no stars to be seen at night, so there was no illumination, there's no bearing, there's no reference point at all. And they're just being tussled on the on the waters. I mean, just really I can't imagine how sick to your stomach you can get. You know, it was utter darkness, pitch black, and the only response was despair. Luke says that they had finally given up all hope of being saved. Death was imminent and certainty, certainty of death right around the corner, certainly right around the corner. And when we face such things, it is crucial to know to whom is it that we belong. You know, when we are young people, when I was younger, we always say that I want to go out there and find myself. I want to know who I am. I want to explore my potential I want to see what is it that makes me tick I want to know who I am right that becomes very important for a young person's pursuits when you're facing the world but man when we have a crisis at hand you know what really counts is not so much who you think you are but whose you are as long as you know that Jesus has purchased you with his own blood and that you belong to God. That's the most important thing that you have to know. Paul, Apostle Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, you were bought at a, at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Second point of the, of the day is we belong to God. We are not our own, but we do belong to God. Uh, if you'll go to the next slide really quickly, David. Okay, we could pass that. We belong to God. We were bought at a price. Right now, as a nation, you could go to the next slide, too. We're going through a, an upheaval and social turmoil. I try to stay away from the media. I don't watch TV. It's been a while. I mean, I'll turn it on just to, just to have it on in the background for little bits of time, but I generally, uh, I've spent way too much of my life, my formal, formal, formal life as a, former life as a as a teenager watching TV, so I, I don't watch too much of that, but you can see in the images that we're going through some difficulties. When you look at the political landscape, it looks pretty bleak. The Democratic Party appears to keep pushing forward uh, humanistic, liberal, and ungodly agendas while the Republicans are being divided over a presidential personality. People are calling a uh, impeachment and tyranny uh, the very constitution that this country is is founded upon is under a uh, constant threat they they're wanting i mean they they they're really wanting to put some liberal judges in there to modify the very papers upon which the freedom is guaranteed as a nation here and that's not a small deal right now i don't know if we're experiencing it but once it comes to our attention it'll be too late it be right now is the time to pray for these things, and to top it off, just as the coronavirus vaccine is being made available, and that's good news, right? Everybody's like, "Oh, coronavirus, yes." You know, is it going to be Pfizer? Is it going to be Moderna? I don't know. I mean, we're all putting so much hope in that, as the intensive care units of most hospitals here in the Southland is topped off at maximum capacity. The media is reporting that there's new strains. There's new strains and variations and mutations that may render the current vaccines ineffective. Uncertainty ahead of us. Uncertainty. I'm not saying these things to make you panic, but I'm, I'm saying these things so that you can ground yourselves on the only thing that is solid in our lives, which is that God, God whom we worship and serve, we belong to him. He has us. A lot of times we think that we have God, right? I got God, so, you know. But, man, it's like that's a mistake. Because Sometimes we, we, we really do treat as if we own God. Like we put him in our pocket, you know, and we pull him out when we need him. That's how we act. But no, that's the, the, the truth of the matter is he, he, he owns us. We belong to him, and that is where we get the security. That is where we get the, the, we get the comfort. In the middle of a coming storm, which is not a might come, but will certainly come one day, we get our bearings not by figuring out who we are, but by being sure on whose we are. Remember that. I belong to God, and that gives me security. Because God takes care, he searches for what belongs to him. There is no assurance like knowing that the maker of heavens and the earth claims you as his. As I say it, as I hear the words leaping out of my mouth and reaching your ears, I want to know does that comfort you? That the makers of the heaven and earth claims you as his own? Nod your hands if you if you feel, yeah, absolutely. We're talking about an all-powerful being that there is no other being that could even come close to mimicking. His powers. This person claims us as our own. Onto eternity. Back to the text. With the tireless efforts by the people aboard, day and night, doing everything that they could do, there was still no way for them to devise a way to survive this violent storm. There is no way that they could ever engineer or navigate around this one. There is no self salvation on this boat. Luke described despair like this. They had given up all hope of being saved. Now, some of you guys might be too young to have experienced that, but I hear that sometimes. Sometimes in your house churches, there are some brother or sisters that have gone through a deep funk, like a really dark night of the soul, and they uh, question their salvation. They question whether God loves them or not. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Are you going through it now where you feel like you have no hope? no hope of being saved in life times like that are bound to come certainly to many people out there in the world as well as even some of the people in the church some may be experiencing some of that helplessness right now they may be around your friends they may be they may be co- your coworkers you know wherever you're doing your part time work now but let me highlight for you a major difference between those who really have the hope and who really do belong to God. And this may give us a more clear idea of what being saved means. While the rest of the people on the boat, including Luke, who writes this account, one person on the boat knew exactly, the exact way to interpret the current situation, and this is Paul. Paul knows what's, going, what's coming ahead. Paul knows what they're experiencing. I mean, it's, it's straining to the body and it's not comfortable at all, but he knows. And, and by the way, he was the one who had warned them ahead of time to avoid the risk of damage and loss of life. But the people around him did not listen. Paul, who was perhaps the only one who had the, the best handle on what could happen, he was disregarded by the so-called experts. This happens from, from time to time. You may be very tight with God. You have a very good relationship with the Lord. So one day in a dream, God tells you, This is what you have to tell them, right? And then you go ahead and you tell them, and everybody just doesn't listen to you. And then what ensues, what ends up happening is something of a disaster, right? So this is none other than Paul. He does not, he does start the speech with the C. I told you so. He does, Paul does that. He's not above it. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you could have uh, spared from yourself this damage and loss. But he doesn't, you know, he's not like those guys that dwells on it. You know, I told you so, ah," you know. He's not like that. He just, uh, he says it. But the next words are encouraging beyond these present impossible circumstances. Listen to what he says. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Having been an English ministry pastor for the last, I don't know, 12 years, if you, if you, include, if you include like a, a youth group like 14 years, you know, uh, that's always in my heart. If, I'm, if I, in my flock there's like 20, if there's 30, if there's 40, if there's like 60, I don't want any one single person to perish or lose the faith. You know, it's a, it's a really heartbreaking thing to hear one time, when you hear news that that they're no longer walking with the Lord, they're now just, you know, uh, wandering, straying out in the world. This is a heartbreaking thing. And I want to be able to say the same thing here, that not one of you will be lost. It may be the case, brothers and sisters, that under my watch that you're all finding yourselves thirsty for God, hungry for God, more knowledge, more intimacy with Him, and with each other. I want you guys to really have that fire rekindle in your hearts. Don't let the world make you stray. Whatever it is that you're experiencing right now, don't let it distance you from God. Paul is not offering empty words here, but he has a supernatural reassurance that there will there will not only be human there will be there will be not any human casualties in the course of this disaster. They will lose the ship, but every single one of their lives will be spared. And this is not just a positive attitude, words, you know, he had an angelic visitor who came to him personally and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Notice the priority here. The reason why Paul is going to live through this is because, hey, remember this? Remember what Jesus told you? You will certainly preach before Caesar. You will certainly. You have to go to Rome, and you have to. You have this mission to to uh, to accomplish, right? Before that happens, uh, there even Paul, Paul cannot. He's marked as someone that cannot be, cannot be, cannot be killed, right? Human lives are precious, and each individual is so, uh, so special because God has made us. But for those of us who have been claimed by God as his own, those of us who belong to God, we have things in store for us that so much surpasses the finality of the life here in this present world. Remember what Paul says. If we as Christians live only for this life, only, we are the most pitiable of all people. If, you work, if we work in, in, you know, if we do the church, if we, if we do the praying, just so that we could get more blessings here on this life only, Paul says that, that's, that's pretty pitiful, right? It's because of the promises that are ahead of us, that lie ahead of us, just beyond the liminal state of this physical life, is why we, have, we, we put so, mo- so many of our eggs in that basket, right? Storing our treasures in the kingdom of God not just here on earth where moth and rust destroy. And in this sense, every one of us who belong to God has particular assignments in his mission during the course of our lives. I want you to ask yourselves, when you're going to school, when you're going to be in school, in professional school, you think that that is what you're born for? Oh, I hope that's not where your purpose ends. Everything that you're seeking for now when you're going to school when you're educating yourself, when you earn a living. That's not the ends. That's the means to an end. And the end that we hope to all attain to reach is God's purposes and his particular mission that we want to partake in. You may want to lean in and hear him. What is my assignment in his mission since I belong to God? Since I'm not my own, since I belong to God, what is it that he has in store for us? In the case of Paul in our text, the lives of the men on the ship about to be wrecked is assigned to him. Because Paul is on that boat, God is saying, you know what? All these men, they're yours. They're under your care. And so he's able to give them an encouraging word. Serving people is how we serve the living God. Don't think that we can can serve the living God without serving people don't think that we can serve the living God putting ourselves in the center of the agenda we can't every single one of our agenda in our self-interest they have to subordinate the, the the primacy of the will of God. So this is the third and final point of our message today and this is just a I guess it's a sequential thing Number one we don't we, we are not ourselves. Number two, we belong to God. Number three David, You serve God because you belong to him. Now listen very carefully to me now. I'm not saying that because I serve God that I belong to him. That sequence is a matter of crucial difference. Remember, Paul thought that he was serving God while he was actively persecuting Christians. Paul thought that he was doing God's goodness while he was, you know, giving the thumbs up for Stephen being killed. Going after, in prison, you know, putting, putting Christians in prison. I cannot serve God had He not claimed me as His own. Sometimes we try, though. Sometimes we try to, to call it like, like we're serving God when we're really serving ourselves. When you serve out of your own, sometimes you try to control and pressure others and try to manipulate everything around you to suit your own needs. You obey when you feel like it, failing to recognize that when you do that, you're not really obeying at all. That's not what obedience is. Only when, in my opinion, I agree with it, I'll obey, I'll comply. That's called compliance. It's not really obedience. Obedience is something that happens even when you fundamentally disagree because of the authority that's before you. If somebody that has, like your parents, for example, if your parents say, don't do this, and... Let's say that like you and your brothers are talking about this situation, and none of you guys agree. None of you guys think that it's, you know, it's agreeable with the parents' decision. Because they are your parents, you just go along and say, okay, okay. I will respect your wishes. I will respect your, uh, what you are asking me to do because you're my mama or because you're my, my dad, right? Now, when you serve because... Because God has claimed you, you place yourself in the middle of obedience. That's basically the discipline of you. You're carrying out in the the relationship between me and thou. Me and the person above me. The all-powerful being. In my posture of obedience is how I know that I am actually his. That's a crucial difference that affects the body. And this is how you can be sure to remain salt that stays salty. If the whole world doesn't care about what God wants, that's the unsalty substance that is useless. But since we're called to be salt, we're supposed to season the life's experiences with the, we have to display for the people that cannot see that there is a God and that he cares for each and every one of us which is why he issues commands to be obeyed. He he tells us to go a certain direction. Now we did not achieve his ownership of us by our performance. We're the, we're the objects of ownership. We, he owns us, right? Can we do something so that the owner can can choose to own us? No, it's purely by his grace. Because he because we are claimed as his own that we serve him and worship him. And if you ask How did God claim us as his own? Well, he has, first of all, created us. Did any of you guys calculate and did you vote in how you wanted to be born? Like, did you vote that you would be born male, that you would be born into a Korean family, that you would be born with the stature and the particular strengths and weaknesses, and, I mean, all that, your genetic makeup, did you decide? None of that. That was all given to you. That was all granted by God. But the most explicit graphic display of this gesture of him claiming us as his own, it was displayed on the cross. When we went astray, when we went our own way, to call, to call us to attention, was the shepherd that went on the cross and he was nailed to it, calling for our forgiveness, that we would have our hearts returned to him. God paid the price. For his own standard of holiness, with the only one person, one perfect person who could satisfy it. His one and only Son, whom he whom whom he lives, whom he loves, and whom he is well whom he is well pleased with. That's in Matthew chapter three, verse seventeen. After Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, the heaven opens up and the and the Holy Spirit descends from it as as a dove, and that's the voice that the people heard. God of all heavens and and earth, state about the person of Jesus. It is because you belong to God that you, you have a purpose. If you don't belong to God, you don't have a purpose. You just have your personal agendas. He didn't make you for nothing. He made you with the purpose, with his purpose in mind. And blessed are you who finds himself, who finds herself in the discovery of your life's mission in God. There is no greater blessing than to carry out the mission that he has given you. If for Jesus the climax of his earthly ministry was to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice on the cross, suspended between the heavens and the earth like this, for Paul, He might have been to offer himself as a sacrifice just like the master who purchased him to go to that final hour before the beast of a man named Nero and to preach to that Caesar before being beheaded by the Romans. This is not recorded in any, any of the Bible, but the church tradition and history says that they cut his head off, Paul, after it was all done. Nero, the Caesar who you could say started the official, systematic persecution of Christians in 64 AD. So shortly after Paul reaches Rome and preaches to to the Caesar, after he dies, the, uh, the blood sport opens up. You know, the Roman Colosseum, it's still standing, by the way. If you ever go to Rome, the Colosseum still stands. I remember doing a visit with my family there. And it was the one place that actually had the hairs on the back of my neck stand, because they're holy people. The people that went ahead of us, the holy people that did not, that did not forsake the name of Jesus, and they were mauled by lions. They were beheaded by by uh, I, I don't know what gladiators or something, and they did not they did not recant on their faith. Last night, an angel of the God to whom i belong paul is crystal about this very clear and whom i serve whom i worship right the word the greek word is latria when we say idolatry latria is to serve not to serve an idol but to serve uh, to worship god the whom i serve stood beside me i pray that you know that you belong to him do you know that you belong to him very important to me Very important to me that that you know that. And that is why you serve him. You serve him because you belong to him. In the mission of God, there is a shepherd that goes for one lost sheep leaving the 99. There's also the woman who carefully searches within her own house to find that one missing coin. And there's also the father who patiently awaits for his son who willingly left and away. These are all the trifold ways that the mission of God is accomplished. It's not just one way. It's not just one way. If there are people that have left our fold by whatever reasons, they have to come back if this was where they belong, if this is the will of God. And if there are people that um, are struggling out there and not able to find a way home, the shepherds here, you guys... The shepherds, deputy shepherds, the people that have, that know them, you have the ability to be stewards of this mission, of this calling for us to be in the same fold. I was super encouraged for, for me to hear Peter's uh, uh, testimony. It was an encouraging to me. I hope it was also to you. Uh, I hope that it, it kind of opens your eyes to the possibilities, to what we can do. We don't have to go as far as Africa, there's a need here right now. And the storm, the crisis, we're going to go through it. It's going to come. It's not going to be just over. And uh, because now we have the new senior pastor coming, there's going to be some new things that happen. It's going to be a new chapter, and a brand new light is going to be shining upon this place. How are we going to, how are we going to respond? I hope that we respond with the heart attitude of, man, What with excitement and anticipation. What is God going to do now in the next chapter that he writes in NBC's history? You guys know how old this church is, by the way? Anyone have any clue, any kind of idea? It's like a year older than me. It's like like 49 years old or something like that, established in 1972. That's quite a long history. For almost 50 years, God has been preserving this church for his mission, for his purposes. And if you examine the legacy of this church, it's bound to continue and be passed on to the next generation, to you guys. Are you ready to receive? If the older folks are going to pass that ball or the baton, will you wide receivers receive and then run with it? That's the moment that we're going through right now. Amen, brothers and sisters? Okay, take you guys. Uh, You guys get off the mute real quick. Get off the mute and give me amen before I can continue on. Are you guys awake on Zoom? (laughs) Amen? I can't hear anything because I... Okay, good. All right, now let us close in prayer. And then afterwards, we're going to have a time of uh, praise and response. Heavenly Father God, we thank you, Lord, for uh, reminding us uh, even though we're not going through a violent storm that's threatening our lives like Paul and his company did uh, on his journey to Italy, uh, as he was reminded by the angel, as he is able to say with clarity that he, he belonged to you and that, that, that he served you, may each and every one of us be so clear that we belong to you, and that, that, you, that we serve you. And every person that, that comes our way in our lives, that we're able to serve them, knowing that it's for your glory. Lord, help us really truly be your disciples in this way, that we have, we have been cataloged, that our names are up in heaven, and that uh, all the saints and the angels up in heaven, they recognize us by name. And they know us by our faces. Help us, Lord, not be shy from doing your good in fear that we're going to lose everything, but that in trust that you'll multiply and that you'll increase us in abundance. Help us, Lord, just, just go all for broke. Help us be able to just give of all ourselves because you're the supplier of all good gifts. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.